Hey everyone, uh, welcome to the Becoming Better podcast. Uh, fill-in host today, Josh. I'm excited to be here uh, with you guys today. Well, today, Jason and I and uh, special guest Ken sit down and talk about our sermon from this past week where we covered James chapter 1, uh, verses 19 through 27. During our time, uh, we talk about uh, our thoughts from this week's message. We answer a couple of questions and we spend the majority of our time on the back end talking about our call to action around foster care and adoption. Just to make note real quick, I do want to remind you of the foster care and adoption basic training class uh, that we mentioned at both campuses uh, this Sunday. Uh, it'll be uh, for this upcoming Sunday, February the 4th. It'll be at 1 p.m. A great way to sign up for that is just simply texting the word foster care to 94,000 and you'll get a registration link and be able to sign up that way uh, for that. Again, just as a reminder, this is just a class to help you uh, figure out what the next steps would be for you and your family uh, if you're so desiring to jump into this a call in this ministry and you won't leave Sunday with kid in your home, but you will leave with a better picture of what God is calling you to. And then really some great next steps for you to take. So if you haven't yet signed up and want to do that, please uh, uh, text you. So again, if you haven't listened to uh, this week's message, um, go ahead and press pause uh, right now uh, because Listening will help make this conversation make much more sense for you. I hope you enjoy this week's episode. Again, thanks so much for sending in those questions and thanks for listening and tuning in with us. Without further ado, here we go. Well, hey, good morning, everyone. Happy Monday. That's what I'm told I need to say. Happy Monday. You do. You have yeah. to say that. Well, obviously, you can tell by the sound of my voice that I'm not Brendan. So, Brendan um, had a, an accident? I mean, yeah. Yeah, he had it an accident. It wasn't it on purpose. It wasn't it on purpose. It wasn't Brendan's fault either, um, unless you count running at 5 a.m. his fault, which Jason, I think, does. But <laughs> for those who don't know, Brendan um, was struck by a moving vehicle uh, this past week, he's doing great, or as well as you could be doing, I guess, <laughs> yeah, from sorry. getting hit by a car. So I believe he'll be back on the podcast next week. So I'm sure all of our conversation in the beginning next week will be an update from Brendan. Because I got yeah. a lot of questions personally, my yeah. own self. Um, so yeah. Yes, so do I. <laughs> yeah. He is sore but recovering. So. Yeah. So just the only thing that I will say is, so I texted him Friday and I was like, hey, man, how you doing? He's like, really sore. In, in my mind, the first thought was, you know, when you wake up some mornings, like, Phew, I feel like I've been hit by a truck. <laughs> That's That was it. He now has that. Yeah. And so everything he can actually go, nope, I don't feel like that. Right. Everything <laughs> like, is easier now. Yeah. Everything is easier. He's young. That's what Tim was saying. Dr. Tim, he was like, ah, he's young. He's just barely 30. He'll recover. If it, Tim was like, if it had been me, I'd have been over. 
Yeah. <laughs> Still be laying in that road, probably. <laughs> you know what I love about our staff is once it was clear that he was okay, the teasing and mocking commenced. I mean, that was that just was from fun. you, but it's fine. <laughs> no, not just from me. <laughs> I, I did, you know, I was the one that shared you, with you guys the update because, you know, I got a phone call early in the morning when it happened. So I shared the update and I put in there, this is why you don't drink water and run. That this, is, this very is Yeah, true. so it did start actually before. You knew he was okay. I knew. That's so. right. You knew he was okay. Yeah. So, yes, and, Jason led the way in the yeah. teasing. So, for all you who are asking, I know I've got a bunch of people yesterday who were asking, man, he is doing better. I'm sure we'll see him back around hopefully next week, I'm sure. So, sure. Um, so that's the update for, for Brendan and why you don't hear voice today. So, Kenny, what about yes. you? How's life, man? Oh, life is good. Uh, the good life is lived in the mundane, the drama-free. Mm. Uh, it was a fun weekend. So my oldest daughter, who's a freshman in high school, took up uh, wrestling this year, first year. She's homeschooled, but she's wrestling for PHS. And she was in an all-freshman tournament in Phoenix, and she won the dang thing. That's all. Oh, in Phoenix? In Phoenix, yeah. Wow. So you're not yes. just wrestling people from up here. You're wrestling probably some oh legit schools. Oh, big time. Yeah. We were at a tournament in uh Tucson a few weeks ago, the Flowing Wells Invitational. It's tougher. It's like I've always heard it's tougher than the state tournament. I was like, how is that possible? Well, you get schools from out of state come. And the, the reigning state champ was in Gianna's weight class. And she, I mean, she crushed Gianna Pinder in 45 seconds. That girl goes to the finals and she gets it handed to her. She gets, she's down 10-0 and then she gets pinned by a girl from another state. I'm like, oh, that's why it's tougher. I don't understand the scoring, but 10-0 feels bad? That's not that's great. Bad. That's not like two scores in football, right? It's not a field goal and a touchdown. Uh-huh. Like, it's It's 10, 10 points. Because you only get one a pin or a thing? No, you get two for takedown. Okay. You'll get one for an escape. You get back points. You know, you get uh-huh. three back points. You can't pin them, but you got them on their back. So Interesting. Yeah, that was a tough tournament. Uh, she's been in some tough ones. And yeah. she's done well. All her losses. I told her, expect to lose almost all your matches. Yeah. And she's probably won two-thirds of her matches. Mm. So just go out there, have fun, work hard, learn something every time. Yeah, uh, she comes up smiling, win or lose. So it's been cool. Yeah, yeah. She came in yesterday, and I, I asked her if she's been beating anybody up, and she told me she won her tournament. I was like, "Go, Gianna! Yeah. Way to go!" Yeah, it was pretty. It's pretty cool. And her in the first match, which I missed, I didn't get down there in time, but I met the dad of the girl, and he had it recorded. He gave it to me. That's awesome. But. Uh, I think she would have pinned her in the first. She ran out of time. And then in the third, I'm watching the video. The girl turns Gianna to her back. And I'm like, oh, like that looks like you're going to get stuck. And I don't, these girl wrestling is different. The boys are so flexible, the things they can do. And she wiggled this out of this thing. And so that was her toughest match, which I like those six to three. Those matches where you go three periods, that's where you learn stuff. Yeah. Like winning quickly or getting beat quickly is not helpful. So she didn't like come off the top rope or have a chair. Or like that. <laughs> no. You don't get points for that. Different kind. A different kind of wrestling. Yeah. It's funny. She asked a couple of nights ago. She's like, is there wrestling? What can you do like after college and wrestling? And, and uh, Connor, you know, my oldest was like, oh, yeah, you could do WWE. I'm like, no, she don't need to be dressing up like any of those ring girls. That's like, no, she ain't doing none of that. Probably, I mean, <laughs> UFC, right? You know, that's where a lot of them go, like, typically. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, yeah. she does. She does jujitsu. Jiu-jitsu. Yeah, that's that what I'm saying. So, like, it already is. I mean, obviously, it's a lot different, but it's very similar. You know, the wrestling background, all those guys always usually did pretty well. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And I think that jujitsu has helped her. Um, do well in this and yeah. she wants to wrestle in the off season and it's awesome so it's I, have, I only have one rule and when I'm out or when I was younger I had a rule like college age 
was always not the best person. I mean, wasn't like a fighter typically, but the one rule I had was never ever get into a fight with the guy with the cauliflower ears. No, don't. <laughs> like, that, that was like you. the that's... one rule is like, oh, hey man, how how are you doing today? <laughs> it was like you want the seat? Okay, yeah, see. here you go. That's the equivalent. That's the hand to hand equivalent of a guy with a gun on his hip. Yeah, like the open carry. Like yeah, that's you just, just you don't mess with that. Nah, guy. man. It was like, oh, you've done some things. You, and you just gave up and got tired of draining your ear because it got that messed up all the time. <laughs> nope, I'm not going to even have a conversation. Hey, buddy, we're, we're best friends. So that was, <laughs> so Josh's one rule of advice to all of you. Don't mess with those guys because you just never know. Well, Jason, what about your kiddos? What you got? I got nothing. We're all, everybody's good. We're yeah? fine. Yeah. How did cross country go for Eli? Eli, yeah, that was back in the fall. He did yeah. great. Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. Yeah, he... uh for those of you who don't know, my youngest is uh, picked up cross country and has done really, really well. So he, there was a kid on his team. It was one of these things that the the only kid he couldn't beat all year was a kid on his team. <laughs> so they good. they finished one two in every meet that they were in. Wow! So the first meet, my son is winning by about. 10 yards coming down the final, you know, uh, 50 meters, right? And he got snaked right at the very end. And he couldn't, he couldn't beat him for the rest of the year. So my son came in second in every meet. Um, But usually these two kids, uh, my son and this other kid were 10 to 15 seconds ahead of third place, like all year. So they just dominated uh, all the way through the county tournament. So nice. Is the same grade? Yeah. Same grade. Okay, yeah. so he'll have that all through high school. He'll is he going to, does he do track? He doesn't do track in the spring. He though. did last year. Um, and I think he probably will again yeah. this year. But he's not as, it's, he's a little kid. And so track is more short distance than long. I mean, you have the 32, you know, it's a two miler. Uh, not at not at this level. So oh, not at okay. junior high level. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, so he didn't do great at the track, but it keeps him moving. Yeah. So. <laughs> Which is <laughs> yeah. That's really the that's, goal. Yeah. That's, that's the yeah, whole yeah, goal. Yeah. 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 So well, the Garrett's are in uh, basketball season. I know some of you who listened last year know that we coach basketball, so we're back in it. We're four games in, and <clears throat> we're doing pretty well. So um, we're four and zero on both of the teams. So. Uh, this past weekend, though, my oldest, Judah, you know, he's 10, so he's playing up. But he looks 14. But he does he does <laughs> look bigger. So he's playing up with 11 and 12-year-olds because I, you know, wanted him to have to just work and play harder. But he's also playing in his age group with his brother because I was like, man, there's very few opportunities that I'm going to get to coach both of them on the same team. So in our older game, it was kind of a blowout, and he didn't play a ton because I was like, well, we'll save him for the younger game. And then we get into the younger game, and it ends up not being a great game. And so I, uh, we're up by quite a few. So after the first quarter, I sit him, and I make him <laughs> – he's on the bench because we have another kid who's a 10-year-old who's pretty good. And I'm like – I'm looking at his dad's the assistant coach. I'm like, they cannot play it. We, we can't put them in. And he's like, no, we can't. But every time I like walk by them, I hear this, <sighs> like they're on the bench, like he's got a towel over his head. He's like sulking, like he's in foul trouble or something. Like just is like, why can't I go back in? I'm like, man, because I'm 
trying to be a good sport. You know, it's all about sportsmanship. Like, I'm not trying to run up the score and why basketball. Like, I got, you know, they're. Don't do that. No, right? Like, I have no desire for that. But he's like, why can't I not play? So finally, towards the end of the game, they had come back a little bit because I have a bunch of eight-year-olds. So I have a bunch of eight-year-olds, so my youngest son keeps getting to play because he's eight, and I don't feel bad. I'm like, he's eight years old playing nine- and ten-year-olds. He should be all right, you know. So I'm like, all right, last three minutes, I'll put you in the game. But he was, but I was like, you can't run. I need you to pat, you know, all the rules. And he was like, so he's out there like clod hopping, like just dejected, right? <laughs> and he's just so mad. So like the there were all these moms, though. They got all of these pictures, like, they sent me a pic of him and the other kid. Like, their feet are up in the chair. Like, they're just looking. Like, they, like, I stole their puppy. Like, that's what <laughs> it looked like, man. And it was like, but I kept trying to tell them, like, man, like, we, like, some of these, you know, sports are bigger than just winning and losing, right? They're oh, all especially the things, at this age. All the things you get this to is teach the life them. We work hard. And he's like, but I don't, like, he did, he's like, I'm, I'm not trying to beat him. I just want to play. And I'm like, I get it, man. So We had the same kind of thing with when I coached my son, yeah. my older son, Levi. And so you'd have those same moments where you're up 20. And half the time you're like, you can't pass it to the other kids. You got to go score. Right? So there, <laughs> there are those times. <laughs> That's true. That happens. Oh, yeah, it does. So then there are times where you're like, dude, you, got, you can't shoot it. You can't shoot. Yeah. Like, you... If you shoot it, I have to take you out. So yeah. you got to pass it and let somebody else have to go. And that's my – so the older team is they're all just super athletic. Bunch of football kids. And I've said one thing. I'm like, we get the ball, we just run. We're going to run all game. So we were up pretty big. Like the other team didn't score until like the fourth quarter. Like it was bad, right? Like I'm on the other side like cheering for the other team. My dad was like, yeah, I stopped cheering for you guys. I, <laughs> he's like, I started cheering for the other team. But I'm like, I try to tell these kids, hey – no, 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 don't run, don't And they just are like, what? Right. That's all I know. It's all you've been yelling at me at practice right. is run, 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 run. And I'm like, what? So what I mean is, like, you can't run now. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> right. But it's so hard. So then it just creates really bad. But anyways, yeah, man, so it's been, it's fun. So if you are looking for entertainment, I guarantee you can come watch me on the sidelines. And it's, hey, I, I went to a couple of games this weekend. I don't have a kid playing. And yeah. there's like, 15 Quad City people. There was, like, yeah. There's like this little little Quad City cheering So, section. look. So, we are we go to the Chathams game because our boys, you know, obviously are friends with them. They're playing in the game. They're on the same team. And uh, a guy from church comes and sits next to me, Pat, and he he played football with Gideon. So, we're chatting. He goes, hey, is this is this like a Quad City team? I was like, <laughs> no, nah, man. We're just, just Quad City fans. Yeah, we're just the fans here cheering out. All right? So, yeah, it was not. We were not. Uh, Sporting each other's kids. That's it. Just just being community, which is why we love being here, right? Yeah. That's why all of us love being here. Well, let's dive into the message on Sunday. Uh, before we do, though, do we just want to update people what's going on in Prescott for our PV listeners? And then I know PV's got stuff they're working towards. Um, so maybe I'll let. Uh, Jason go first for the Prescott news, and Kenny can go for the PV news. Yeah, I I almost made a comment both at the 9.30 and the 11 this past week, because if you're on our Prescott campus, the room was pretty full this weekend, yeah. and um, uh, but I didn't have enough time. So, I it, it was great, and we had some people having to sit in the cafe, and I always hate that. I know some people do it because they want to, um, but I hate it when people feel like they need to. So... Uh, the balcony is on the way, right? So if you were here this last week, 
you saw that the work had already begun, and so they tore out carpet, and they poured some footers, and so all of that stuff is good. So the update is, we hope that there may actually be some steel put up this week. Oh, so wow. That is the, cross our fingers, that may happen. Now, it isn't, you know, obviously construction is construction. So, but that's the goal. There may actually be some steel going up this week. And so we're moving in that direction. So if you felt a little bit uh, cheek to cheek this last weekend there. <laughs> you were. <laughs> you were. That's yeah. true. It was. It was real. It was real. And it we hope to alleviate some of that. So that's the update. Again, thanks for your generosity that allows us to uh, yeah. make room for more. And we're talking from date of like breaking concrete with 10 to 12 weeks. Uh, that's what they said. We'll see how yeah. it goes. I mean, obviously, it's always yeah, something. It's always fluid. Yeah. yeah, but it's not like a year-long no, project. No, should yet. not be. Yeah. I would hope not. Yeah, cool. Well, that's the Prescott News. Kimmy, I know we uh, mentioned some stuff at our family meeting about Prescott Valley. Yes. And I know not a lot of people heard it because it snowed that day. So (laughs) um, Both people heard it. Yeah. Uh, We're looking for office space in Prescott Valley because, you know, it's going to be two to three years before we're in a permanent location. So to have a presence in the community aside from Sunday, we're going to put an office there. And we want to use that space not just for office, but to have a student ministry, like a midweek, uh, that the kids in Prescott Valley and Dewey can come and participate there. So we've looked at a couple places, and then there's one that's looking rather promising. It's Next step is to bring the contractor over because it's basically a big rectangle, and we do need to make a few offices. Right. So we'll get an idea from him, hopefully this week, of what it would take, and then start signing paper. If all, I'm sure that'll be fine. And then we just start signing papers and right. maybe by spring, late spring, we can have a, a presence in Prescott Valley. That's awesome. That's great to hear. Yeah, definitely. Well, yep. Cool. Well, awesome. Well, let's talk about Sunday's message. So we we're in the back half of James chapter one. Um, again, this is like a probably three sermons <laughs> in all of these verses, which obviously I think Jason did a great job trying to figure out, hey, what to say and what not to say, um, and then kind of drive us to the big point. But before we jump in uh, to some of the questions we got, we did get a couple. Uh, Kenny, what were your thoughts, obviously, um, in regards to this week's sermon? Uh, Well, it's very personal. (laughs) And we'll get into that, yeah. (laughs) Uh, You know, it was really, I thought it was good. Uh, I I liked it. I thought it was wise. You you skipped the part about the tongue, right? (laughs) Because we're going to get into that later. Um, And I the videos were really impactful for me, you know, which I guess that would be part of the sermon. That's not Jason's lane, but at least the story being yeah. told. Uh, I don't know what Heidi said in there. Most couples are not on the same page mm. until they are. Mm. And then the idea that like, they come with pain. They're, it's yeah. it's going to be hard. They come with pain. Uh, and part of being a Christian is carrying that load. We got to help these kids with their pain. Right. Uh, and it just, it doesn't look like pain. Mm. You know, it looks like, misbehaving, yeah. uh, but it's rooted in something else. Yeah. So I thought the the call to action for the church to serve is that's what we should be doing. Because if that happened nationwide, there wouldn't be a need for yeah. people sleeping in offices like that. It just wouldn't be necessary if we just actually did the thing we're called to do. Yeah. Now, Prescott Valley uniquely had a community partner on um, um, at PV— Sunday too. Yes. So you tied in the back half. So maybe tell us about, maybe a little bit about that too. Yes. So one of our ministry partners, uh, <laughs> people who care. So by ministry partner means we uh, contribute some dollars and try to other, if they need our office space, right. people. So we have 
people in our church who volunteer there and people who care is largely a it's a transportation service of right. volunteers mm-hmm. uh, i think it's 73% of their clients which they call friends are widows wow and that's not the only thing that happens right but right. that's the is okay we're going to get you where doctor's appointment grocery shopping whatever it is and then they become friends yeah. and they love up on people and so part of the connection in Prescott Valley is we had that resource there yeah. for people to come. And there's some people who signed up wanting to participate and help that community. That's so awesome. That's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. man. It's, again, it's, you know, <clears throat> but to Jason's point at the end, I'm not sure what the Spirit is calling you to do, but it's not nothing. Right. Right? right. And so, again, there's another opportunity we wanted to present, but it's unique, again, for uh, uh, PV because that is a PV community partner. They're really looking at how do they engage deeper in Prescott Valley, right? Like that's yes. some of the- now they're they are their office is located in Prescott, but yeah. they are expanding Prescott Valley. Do that's where the big need is, and yeah. so that's so that's why we, we can were help. able to partner with yes. them last year. It was great, and so they you can volunteer still even in Prescott, and I know people who already do, and they've done that for quite a while. So there is that opportunity as well in Prescott um, to volunteer with that ministry. But really, want our PV people to you know, hey, they're kind of trying to start up, so it's a really cool way to, to jump in. You know, I'll just say. Um, the first part, just about the anger, um, is something that's um, I thought was great. Obviously, I thought needed to be said. Um, you know, um, especially the part about being a dad, like that's the part that got me and probably sat with me. Obviously, I knew the other stuff was coming, um, but that piece just sits with me of like, hey, how do I respond to my kids in that moment? And we had a little thing yesterday with our oldest, and it was like that was in my head of like, hey, I could actually use this not as an opportunity to just be mad, but hey, let's let's talk. Let's have a real conversation because this is a conversation we need to have anyways. And just being mad and angry, we're not going to have that conversation. And it's not actually going to produce anything yeah. if I just— Oh, to produce something, just nothing that you yeah, want. Yeah, nothing that I actually— <laughs> Not the righteousness <laughs> not that right yeah, requires. Yeah, desires, yeah. Yeah, yeah. so again, it was that was in my, in my mind. So that was the part, just being a, a, a dad— um, that really, really stayed with me. Obviously, the other stuff was so impactful and so emotional and um, such a a hard but. I was like, man, whew, you could have just done a sermon on that and it would yeah. have been more yeah. than enough, yeah. right? To to convict us of like, this is a giant, we talked about that when we talked about the sermon. How many guys are in there and they think like, oh yeah, I'll, yeah, my, this anger is, it's deserved. Mm-hmm. It is righteous. Right. It's but, earned. Yeah, I'm allowed to be, and it's like, nope, you, it does no good. Yeah. And so it's really a thing that that stayed with me. So what about you? Maybe anything we weren't able to get to? Obviously, like we said, there's probably a hundred sermons you could have preached out of these <laughs> nine verses, ten verses. But um, well, one of the things that took me by surprise was at the eleven o'clock service when I got into the the you know anger piece and I said to hey wives, you being angry at your husbands is not going to produce the righteousness you want. And I had like three or four guys in the room say, amen. (laughs) (laughs) And you don't get that. (laughs) And it took me by surprise. If the YouTube is still up, I'm like, that that felt personal. There's something there in that service. I don't know what's going on. Maybe uh, you need to come in and chat (laughs) all of you guys with one of our team. The whole room just kind of lost it for a second. It did get a little, yeah. a little sideways, but that was that that took me by surprise. But obviously, the whole crux of this uh, message really boils down to that verse twenty-two, where we where we ended. 
Like, yeah. do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Like this, and you could probably make verse 22 of chapter one, like uh, kind of the summation of the entire letter of James. Mm-hmm. Like, the because we're, we're going to come back to this idea a couple more times. But, but this is the big idea that we can't, again, it's where we got the name of the series. We got to get to the place where we're moving beyond the belief beyond belief to the place where we're actually doing something because of what we believe. So that's where it comes from. Um, and to your point, Josh, at the end, it's like, I don't know what God's calling everybody to do, but we know it's not nothing. We have to do something with what we've heard. Yeah. And the cool part is, and we talked about this in the Holy Spirit series and other things, like sometimes it matches up with our gifting yeah. And the thing that God and through the Spirit has gifted us with, sometimes yeah. it's passions. Yeah. There are people who are passionate about certain things. But sometimes we're called to do things that we don't like and we're not gifted at, but we're still just called to do it. You just got to obey. And, and yeah. some of that I feel like is the uh, foster care. It is more, it is a call and it is hard and you may not be gifted to do it, but like there's a balance in there, right? That you don't get an out because, well, I'm not good with kids, you know, kind of deal. So um, and I think we'll get more into that. But before we jump into that piece specifically, that's why obviously uh, Kimmy's here, just his story and, and background um, with that. Um, we did have a question kind of talking to do something. It was from Cindy. She said, I love checklists. They're very helpful for everyday tasks and appointments, but not so much when applied to faith principles. Can you suggest ways to help navigate James's teaching without veering into legalism? So because it is about doing things, it can become easy to be like, oh, well, I did this and I did this and I did this and I'm good to go. So how do we balance that and not dip into just being legalistic about it? So I think we probably need to find some kind of definition of legalism. What do we mean mm. when we just, what are we meaning when we, when we say legalism? Um, I wish I would have thought about this earlier. I shared in our, so every time we have an elders meeting, I um, will share a thought. We'll have a devotional moment with our elders. And I shared this idea that I had been wrestling with for a couple of weeks ago. Like there has been this push in evangelicalism to whereby we offer more apologies for calling people to holiness than accepting of sinfulness. Mm. Like we will actually make excuses. We'll, we'll tell people, um, we'll, we'll offer a command from the Lord or, hey, this is what he's calling us to, but we're, no, we're not perfect. And we we spend more time actually mm. um, making excuses for not following the Lord uh, out of, and it comes from this idea that we don't want to become legalist. But I think, again, we have to get to the place where we have a good definition of, of legalism. And I think legalism is us trying to earn our way to, to salvation. We're trying to do these things in order to make God love us and to be found acceptable to him. And that kind of legalistic idea that you're working your way to heaven— it should be rejected wholeheartedly. But that's not what James is, is is talking to. And we'll get into this, not this coming Sunday, but the following Sunday. We're gonna we're gonna address this 
specifically uh, when we get to chapter 2, verse 14, mm. where, where James talks about uh, faith and deeds and how do these things intersect. So, so Cindy, hang with us for a couple of weeks. We're going to get a whole sermon just on this issue. But again, I think the bigger, the, the, the broad scope is that at the end of the day, all of these things that we're being obedient to, they're not in any way trying to trying to uh, earn our way to heaven. It is out of our being in relationship with Jesus that we're doing these things. So we're doing these works from our relationship. We're not doing these works for our relationship. Helpful. And so uh, it goes back, again, it goes back even to the very, our mission statement, right, is comes from Matthew 28, go make disciples. How do we do that? Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then the next piece is the obedience piece and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. So Jesus gave us this mandate that we are to call people to obey everything he has commanded us. So we don't want to be a people who are ever trying to lower the bar and I don't think Cindy's asking us to do that, but yeah. but that we that but we want to keep raising the bar and saying this is what God has called us to, and so we're going to follow what Jesus says and teach people to obey everything is commanded you, not in any way trying to earn salvation, but as a way to uh, display the work that God has already done in us. And again, we'll get into that even more as we get into chapter two. Well, I think what you just said, how people could take that, raising the bar, right? Well, Jesus rose, but you have to die to yourself. Give up everything. Yeah. Like the priorities that we live have to be the priorities mm. of Jesus. And it and it's displayed by how we live our life. Yep. So I could take to heart what she said about checklists. Yeah, it's not about just doing, I thought about the Pharisees or Jesus is like, look, you guys, you tithe all the way down to the dill, the mint, the cumin, but you neglect faithfulness and mercy and do both like do like so check the list but what's your you know do you love people yeah Yeah. and i think too it comes from like when i think of a checklist there are some tasks i just have to do and i'm not saying there are some things with obedience you know i think just referencing like the nymos stories or namos stories um like they just did the things because you're called to do them and then when life hit um it it helped them keep their faith intact and actually grow because they had spent time and cultivated that relation. We kind of talked about yes. that. So if you haven't listened to that bonus episode, definitely do so. It dropped last Thursday, just their story of um, just incredible suffering and how um, they're just trying to find joy. So I was thinking about that with this, right? Like, man, I find joy in doing the things God is calling me to do. And not always happy, <laughs> some of right. us really, but there is some joy in, man, like, living out my faith in a way. So I don't find it with like a checklist. I'm like, I just got to get the thing done. I got to take the trash out on Tuesday nights or Monday night. That's just how it is. I don't have to anymore. I have four kids now. But (laughs) but, but again, you know what I mean? Like, but with some of the things that I'm called to do, it has developed in me a deeper joy and relationship with God because my faith has grown in doing those things, in serving, in giving, in, in being generous. Like that stuff. So, I feel like I'm more joyful now because I've done the things that God tells me to do, yeah. right? And it, some of it started not out of that. You talked about that with generosity. Your heart will actually follow. Now, I think that's what it is for 
for some of these things that we're called to do, um, if you really just do them and give your life to them, does cultivate in there some kind of joy. I'm just grateful because I'm like, man, God is calling me to do these things. Man, how could I not want to? Look what all he's done, which was to your point of the adoption piece. How how could we say no when God himself did this very same thing, mm-hmm. right? Which I think helps us transition. So let's talk about that. Well, hang on. Yeah. Let me back up just a yeah. second. It does come, I think you're right. Both both what you guys say are, is so good. It's it does come down to the motivation. Like hmm. the Pharisees were doing all the things, yeah. but it wasn't out of a heart of love for God that they were doing all of these. They were just doing it because they were supposed to do it. Yeah. I heard uh, one pastor talk about it this way. It's like, um, like Tom Brady is notoriously known for not drinking alcohol, like during football, right? He would yeah. abstain from alcohol. All the other kids, all the other kids, all the <laughs> other players, <laughs> they're all 18 to 22, yeah. 26. They're, all the other players are going out and going to the bars and clubs and getting drunk. And he notoriously would not go out and drink. Now you could say, well, he's more righteous, right? Because he's not giving over to drunkenness. Yeah. But what was his motivation? It wasn't, I'm I'm not going out and getting drunk because I want to honor God with my body. He's I don't want to go out and get drunk because I want to extend my career. And I know long uh long sessions of drinking are really bad for your body, and I want to do this for a long time. Right. So his motivation had nothing to do with what I want to honor God. It's It was selfish. I want to be better at what I do so I can do this longer. It was for football. Yeah. It wasn't for holiness. And so we can take all of these rules and do them for wrong reasons mm. um, and have nothing to do with us actually pursuing righteousness or the glory of God. So if that's your motivation, then yeah, you've got a bad checklist. But when it comes out of, man, I just want to live my life uh, out of a place of worship for what God has already done for me, then it's not legalism. It is just pursuing righteousness. And I think those, those are different. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I would agree. So um, obviously the big takeaway for our church, the big call to action um, was this idea of foster and adoption. Yeah. And so both of you have a very uh, unique story about that. You both have, have done uh, those things. Um, and so maybe uh, just kind of share your all's heart behind that. Um, and, um, you know, Jason, obviously I think everybody could hear your um, emotion in it when you talked about it, but also too, man, like, I don't know if you came for me to hear my pastor go, hey, like it's on me that we haven't talked about this more is super humbling. So man, bro, I always appreciate when you, we do that. Like it's most guys don't do that kind of thing. And so it's always a, a big thing. So maybe you guys just kind of share your story. Um, Cause we did have some questions around this idea of foster care. Um, but I want to get to the actual kid piece and doing that and inviting into your family. So um, I think uh, Joe and uh, Sheila and, Heidi and Greg mentioned the difficulty of it. And so I think both of you are on, I appreciate your honesty when you talk about this. I think it's just really helpful. Well, yeah, make no mistake about it. It's the hardest thing we've ever done. I mean, it's not, there's not even a close second. And it's worth every bit because at the end of the day, uh, I lament the, the, I miss my life of ease. Okay, well, so what's, okay. 
They, they never would have had a life of ease, and they still don't, right? Our children that we've adopted have all this internal turmoil. Um, they have a better life, but it's certainly not easy. Uh, and it's, I like how Heidi said it in there, man, you, the, the pain, right? They, I think it was Heidi who said it. They bring in this, all this pain, and we're called to carry one another's burdens yeah. uh, and speaking up for the least of these and those who cannot speak for themselves. A traumatized child, they don't. They they either retreat into themselves or they're, you know, they're going to be aggressive and fight you and who knows what how it's going to manifest itself. But we have to help them navigate that, and it's it can be certainly be hard. And Jason, in the sermon, you mentioned something about the I forget how you phrased it, but the the cycle continues. Mm-hmm. And I think about both our children. Uh, so our son, with that, with that was an open adoption. So we're connected still to his birth family and his father and his aunt. So my son and his father, his sister, they were in foster care themselves at one point. They were reunited with their family. I think of our daughter who we've adopted. Both of her birth parents had been in foster care at one point. And we've, we've met those parents at a court hearing and they're, they're just a mess, right? They're young. Uh, they can't even take care of themselves, much less take care of children. She was the oldest of three at three and a half years old. Now she's eight and a half. Uh, and, you know, of course, I met the grandmother too. And she's, you know, the mom, our daughter, Andy, our daughter, her mother is the shining star amongst her siblings. And she's, her poor, this poor woman just can't even take care of herself. And it's like, wow, she's the shining star. And she, and so this would just keep continuing. And it might. I, you know, this, who knows what will happen, yeah. the way our children will shake out, any of them. Uh, but at least we're, we're trying to love them through this and, yeah. and help them write a different story for their life and their children. Well, yeah, like for sure, the story would more than likely continue if something drastically different didn't happen. Again, it can, right. like you said, it still may but at least now there's a there's another option. Yes. There's another way that you can see, right? Which I think is a lot of life in poverty and those kinds of things. You just don't even see another option. You don't even realize there's another way to do this, right? Yeah. And I'll tell you, you having an open adoption with our son's family, you get to see this up close and personal. So I remember you know, the agency we used was advocating open adoption. And I'll never forget the casework. She's like, what do you think about that, an open adoption? I said, well, I'm all for it as long as the dad isn't some gang-banging felon. Well, not only is dad a felon in a gang, so was mom. <laughs> it's like, I got both parents. And we, and the mom, well, she's out of the picture. I've had a couple conversations with her, but she just kind of disappeared. She couldn't, she told me, she's like, I just can't handle, like we were going to meet. She's like, I just, I'm glad to hear my son's in a good family. That's going to be enough. But the dad, we may, I remember talking to him in prison. It was supposed to be years before he was going to get out. Well, some Senate bill went through and he ended up getting out a few months later before the adoption was even final. And I arrange a phone call through the prison chaplain. And the first thing he says to me is, am I going to get to see my son? And I said, well, that's going to be up to you. I'm like, I don't want to keep him from you, but you're obviously not in any position to raise him. And so when you get out, let's connect. So he got out of prison and this is December of 2012. Uh, and so we met a few days after he got out of prison. We met, uh, talked to him, spent a few hours with him. And I'm like, let's do, I don't want to keep you from your kid. Like, you've never even got to spend time with him. Yeah. And so 
he became, it was like an adoptive family. Like it was our kids referred to him as Daddy Marvin. Like it, like everybody. And he still went in and out of prison for years and got him up here to a rehab, to Recovering the Pines. They scholarshiped him, like, let's, let's get him well. He stayed for about a month uh, and he, he decided he had to leave on a Tuesday. And so that Friday, so he's like, I'm out. I'm just, I got things I got to get back to in life. So he leaves on a Tuesday. So that Friday, Lisa and I are at this dinner for foster and adoptive families, just like a thank you. And the speaker is talking about, she said, hey, when you embrace foster care and adoption, it's like trying to hug broken glass. She says that. I get a text message on my phone from my son's aunt. So his dad's sister. And the text message is, He's dead. He left rehab on Tuesday. He overdosed and died on Friday. And then we have to deliver that message to our son. Uh, and just the timing of that was, uh, it's like hugging broken glass. You're embracing all this pain. And now here's another heap of pain. His birth father just died. Uh, that's just kind of, that's the life that his, he came from. Yeah. Like his, that's his not his legacy, I guess. That's his predecessor, my son. Yeah. That's what he. That's what he's coming out of. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, and I'm glad we can, at, at the very least, or a big long speed bump. He's not active in that life, doing those kinds of things. So, I mean, I don't know what else I could say. There's lots of story, but that's yeah. just me talking into a mic. Yeah. What about you, Jason? I know, obviously, not the foster care angle, but I mean, your kids are not removed from what was a difficult life, I'm sure, as well. Yeah. So we. Um, Adopted our oldest uh, domestically, and like you, it was an open adoption. We met with mom. Um, I'm so grateful that we have the House of Hope uh, here in Village of Hope. Village, Village of Hope. Village. Sorry, the Village of Hope, which takes care of uh, pregnant ladies and helps them. Uh, there was a similar set up in Illinois that our church was connected to. And it was a woman in that home who had had several children already taken uh, that we had met her. And that's, that's who we adopted our oldest from. So it was similar to you. And so we uh, met with their family, uh, the biological parents and half siblings and full siblings, uh, you know, a lot of the same. It's, there's a lot of mess there. Um, so that was the first. The second was an international adoption. And so he was in foster care for um, two and a half years. And one of the things that I, I'd just say is fairly common, or was at least in the beginning, is I would, we would, when we, we went and got our son, he's from South Korea, and we brought him home and people would come up and, I understand the heart behind it, but they would say, oh my God, he is so lucky. He's so lucky to have you guys as parents. He's so lucky that you guys adopted him. And I I would just look and I would say, do you really understand what you're saying in this moment? I mean, think about it. How old is Amos? Two and a half. So imagine your son, Amos. He's two and a half. Imagine that there is a family that travels from Thailand to Prescott and they meet Amos for an hour 
And Amos doesn't really understand what's going on. He just, there's this family from Thailand. They meet him for an hour. And then they come back two weeks later. And you walk Amos into a room. And then you walk out. And this family from Thailand puts Amos on a plane. And all of a sudden, he's in a world where no one talks like him. No one looks like him. They eat different food than he eats. All of the cultural norms that he's been accustomed to for two and a half years, from how you walk on a sidewalk to how the bathrooms are laid out, all of that's changed. Everything in an instant. And he will likely never go back to all of those people that all of those in your family that he's bonded with for two and a half years, and they're gone. Would anybody look and say, Amos is so lucky that he got to go to Thailand? Like, that's what, that's what happens. Um, now, is it better than uh, him growing up in, in an orphanage in South Korea or in foster care with people coming and going all the time. Maybe, maybe. But what's better is him being in a family with his, with healthy mom and dad who love him in his family of origin. That's, that would be lucky. But he didn't get that. And so there, there's trauma that comes with that. And there's pain that comes with that. And every foster care and every adoption story has those those pain points and those trauma that are seeped in to the very DNA of these kids from the womb. I mean, we've learned so much about trauma care in the last uh, 10 to 15 years. And it is, it is down on a level that we can't even imagine. And I would it, like to say real trauma. Like we throw that oh, yeah. word out there. Yes. No, this is legitimate, real yeah. trauma these kids are experiencing. Yes. yes. Yeah. And so, yeah, it's different than I got, twerked about something on the internet. Yeah, this is not that. <laughs> yeah, that, yeah, we've we've thrown that word out so it's lost its meaning, but yeah. when you all say it, it's yeah, you've seen it real. Yes. So, all of that to say, yeah, it is it is painful and it is, you know, I we could line up 15 families in our church who are walking through variations of the difficulty in this. Um but again, I think it is one of the greatest pictures of, of our God. It is the greatest picture of we're willing to step into some pain that we could save ourselves from. We don't have to, nobody's nobody's making anybody go do this, but but we get to step in and carry their pain with them and do our best to love them through it. Um, and I just think it is one of the greatest pictures of the gospel that we could give to the world. And I'd love for you to share. I think you sent me a text this week about a quote. Oh yeah. And so I'd love for you to take yeah. a moment and share this. I didn't I didn't have time to put it in our sermon, but um but this has been the heart of the Christian community from the beginning. Like as I said on Sunday, like we are an adopting people because we are an adopted people. And so this should be a hallmark of what sets us apart from the world. 
Um, yeah, so the year is like 125 AD. Obviously, dating is loose, but it's a guy explaining Christians to the Roman Empire. Um, and he says about Christians, early Christians, they love one another. They never fail to help widows. They save orphans orphans from those who would hurt them. If they have something, they give freely to the one who has nothing. And so from the very beginning, this was who Christians were, right? Like in that time, they would have kids. And if they didn't want the kid, they would just leave it on the side of the road because you could, and it didn't matter. And they would literally go rescue these kids out of um, the garbage, essentially. Um Again, so this was a non-Christian. Non-Christian explaining Christian. The Greek philosopher explaining Christians to the emperor of Rome. These were the things that these people did. This is what makes them different than yeah. everybody else around us. Yeah. And so again, it's been out the core and the heart of our, at Christianity since the very beginning. And again, it makes perfect sense as you so greatly connected the dots yesterday for us. We have all been adopted so adopted people, right, should be people who adopt. Like that is the, and again, the foster care is unique in that. There is the desire to reunificate. Because like you said, wouldn't it be much better for that kid to be with a healthy mom and dad? Absolutely. And there are some incredible stories. I, I have friends that have talked about how mom and dad did just need some help and they got the resources they need. And now kid is back with mom and dad or mom and their it's healthier, right? It's and there's still, a place that the church could play in that. You oh, know, if we love our neighbor and people, a hundred percent, right? Like that, it is like so. The foster care heart is a very unique thing, but again, it's the the part that stood out is from those who would hurt them, right? Like it's the that we're we're intervening and rescuing kids because, again, why would we not? We've been rescued, right? Like, and so again, that, and again, they they never fail to care for widows. Like the people who are the most vulnerable. Again, that's different. Again, I'm glad you pointed that out, but it's still here. Yeah. It still exists. It, and again, if they had something, they would give it to them. So again, yeah. what we have more than anything in our country is resources. We have all kinds of things. Mm-hmm. It's just, are we willing to lay them down? Um, and, and Greg McGregor said it in that video. I just realized my life is not my own. Like I'm willing to sacrifice and give up all that I've been given. And maybe, just maybe, that's why you were given it in the first place. Could be. <laughs> to, uh, I don't remember where you talked about that here recently, Jason, mm-hmm. but you talked about maybe, just maybe, we've actually been given these things not to be a container but a conduit, mm-hmm. right? And that has that. And so in our church, we have a lot of those people who have a ton of resources, and they hear, well, I, I'm too old. Right? I can't do that. I had a, a guy got baptized at the Prescott campus yesterday, comes in the back and goes, and he's like 80 old, right? He's really older in himself. He goes, man, if I was just a little younger, I'd bring a kid in my house, no doubt. Larry, Larry Lloyd comes to me yesterday. He's an older man in our church, and he says, you know, we adopted our son. And people used to say, oh, you guys, he's so lucky. He goes, no, I'm so lucky. Mm-hmm. The joy that I got to experience because I did this, mm-hmm. right? And again, a lot of the questions— that we got for a couple were, well, how can we not bring in, what if we can't bring in kids? And, and I think there's a place for that, but I think the overwhelming call is like, I think we all can. Um, I think there are seasons, maybe we can't, but like I, I think there needs to be more conversation around what, 
how do we really get in this fight and get in this game um, and look at, because I don't, uh, timing may never be right, right? Like, so I, I, I don't know what to do with that, right? There, again, if you're 80 and bad health, probably shouldn't. Right. But there's a lot of resources, man, for people, and we have a lot of options. So what can we do besides, again, helping the foster families or adoptive families is needed, and we do that. So there are those options. But what can we help people with who walked away going, I know I need to do something. It maybe is not bringing a kid in my house, but I don't want to be absolved from not doing anything. Yeah, well, I think uh, the can't, I can't. First, you got to ask, rephrase that. Like, okay, well, how can I? I don't see it, but how can I pull this off? You know, what can we do? And as a matter of fact, that's how we ended up. We were looking into foster care and uh, Joe had mentioned, like the house wasn't right. Like our house for whatever, and when we lived down in Pinal County, it just didn't work with the requirements of foster care. Like, all right, forget it. Let's adopt then. Private adoption, and all of a sudden, it's going to be fine. So that's how we ended up. We found a solution to help the orphan, right? So we just changed our plan. Uh, And then I think, how can I help? uh, If if for whatever reason it might be that I can't do this, and there are circumstances, I suppose, uh, is you have to be a support to the families that do. Like, I'll I'll do your laundry. Mm -hmm. I will take your kids on a Saturday afternoon once a month or whatever it is, uh, I'll go, I'll be the adoptive grandparent, if you will, or the big brother, like there's big brothers, big sisters. We kind of pull that off in the church too. Yeah. Cause there is a difference because of all the trauma, there is a difference between your birth children and your adoptive children. When you have a blended family like that, just like in a blended family of divorce and you come yeah. together, to get remarried, there is a different in the dynamic. Uh, and I know our birth children, have made sacrifices that, that, let me say, they didn't make the sacrifice. The sacrifices were made on their behalf. There are things that they have not experienced or gotten to do uh, because of the trauma that was introduced into our home. Now, ultimately, I think it, it's fine. It benefits them. It's not like they lost out on anything other than maybe right. some fun. Yeah. But, uh, oh, man, where I was going with that evaporated. <laughs> but uh, we can all, we, oh, so by I'll take your, child, like the adopted child, we'll go do this thing. So you go ahead and do this thing that does with your other kids so that yeah. there isn't the drama and trauma introduced and you can enjoy yourselves yeah. for an afternoon. Uh, but helping in that respect, being engaged relationally with the adoptive family. And you have to be, if you're going to be that person, you have to be, you're going to interact with kids that are unruly. Uh, they're dysregulated. They can't self-regulate. Imagine like, with trauma, your nervous system is like on fire. I, w- I was in flight. Yes, it's Always. all fight or flight. Yeah. Uh, and I or fight, yeah. Yes, and I, I wish I could see an MRI of my daughter's brain or her mandula or whatever. It's probably ginormous, right? That thing, their hippocampus. I mean, it's probably huge. That's what they say. Like that's the regulator that puts you always in fight or flight. Right? Yeah. It's the same kids who grow up like in poverty that we worked with in Louisiana. Like they just, they're, you know, the A study stuff, right? Yeah. Like it's, That's right. they're the off aces. the charts. Yes. But they, it's like, I took the test for all my kids and I was like, they're all eight or higher. Every yeah. one of them. No wonder when things that are normal for me don't send me spiraling. Like when they just turn the lights off, it's like an instant trigger to something that's 
a, a memory that, my goodness, no wonder, right? Like that's, I'm sure, with your daughter. Yes, and so for those of you who don't know, the ACEs score, ACEs is an acronym, Adverse Childhood Experiences, and I forget what the S means. So you could Google it, A-C-E-S, and you could take, take the assessment yourself. Yeah. And let me just say this too. We have uh, a leader in our church, an elder in our church, who is way high on the ACEs score. And I'll tell you what, that, what a life he has carved, despite the adverse childhood experiences, yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's amazing. And yeah. so, not he wasn't in foster care or what have you, but— uh, and, you, and you know what it says, usually helps combat ACEs, is a strong community. Like, mm. that's the thing, because we, we took it all as, too, the same way, because we ran after school program, and it was like one of the key factors in helping them thrive— is a community, right? Which I love because that's what we were, right? Again, we had some premise of faith, but we weren't really a people of faith who shared Jesus, but we understood that we were a community for them and how they could be in this community for multiple days, years, that it could help change the perspective. What better thing than this? That's what we exist to be. We are that community that can help change some of the dynamics for these kids, right? Well, That's even what we can do. In that quote that you had read about, they they give what they have. Like, yeah. imagine if this is what the church was known for today. Yeah. Like, that we did these things. Like, the, that, it would, how honoring to God and to Jesus. And I would say, so your question was, how do you help? So, I'll do your, get engaged in relationship with people who do yeah. this. You have to go out of your, you have to find the people. Um, they're not walking around the church waving a flag like I'm the foster, I'm the adoptive yeah. family. You have to engage with people that might not share your your common interests, your social status, whatever, different race, whatever it could be. There, it could be different than you, and it's not a an arena that you normally operate in. Okay, well, learn to operate in it. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I would I would jump in on that and say, um, I we had two people ask this question. Uh, this week. And so, so grateful that they are interested yeah. in doing this. And we want to be a people who are interested in doing this. Um, but it's not going to be a a program. We can't, we can't program this yeah. as a church. Like, like to your point, Ken, this is just about, because every situation is so different. You just got to go do it. I think there's two, two families that I can think, I think of the Coopers, Denton Cooper yeah. has adopted the the Williams family, yeah. right? And, and they, they couldn't live further apart. Right. <laughs> right? They live so far from each other. Like geographically. Yes, yeah. yes, geographically. Leah Williams, in her 60s, adopted five kids, right? Sibling four kids, four. Sibling, four, four, four siblings. Four. They were all under like six years old. You just tried to give her an extra one. She may be coming for you. <laughs> <laughs> While she has a special needs child of her own. Yes. Right, and so, oh, amazing! But she can't do it alone, and so Denton is the one who shows up and helps and serves. And, and Denton's eighty. Yeah, it, it doesn't <laughs> matter. He just goes and does the thing, and they know him and love him. I think of the the Wilsons, right? Yep. And yep. I had a connection with him yesterday. My kid's going to be doing something, helping sell a truck that he's trying to get rid of. Walk over there, and he's got. He's got a kid that he had in foster care two and a half years ago hanging out in the driveway with him. Hmm. And so he, they didn't quit. Even though the the reunification has happened, they didn't punt. 
they're still there and they're still leaning in and they're still serving. They, they're still in the fight, even two years after the foster care piece. So all of that to say, this is not programmatic. The church can't give you a sign up and, and, and make this happen for you. It's not the church's responsibility to try to make this happen for you. Uh, it is it is our desire to see this happen, and but it is something that you've got to wave your hand again, Kenny, to your point, and say, "Give me a family. Who is it that I can help? Who's doing this?" And we can point you in the direction, but you got to you got you're going to have to be the one to pursue um, how to serve in this arena um, because every family needs is different. Yeah. Um, and you're at a different place now than you were five years ago. Probably the things that you need when you were in the foster uh, uh, circus. I don't know a better That's way to a put great it. Description. <laughs> yes. you were, when you're when you're doing uh, courtroom visits, yeah, uh, four times a month, and you've got therapy sessions that you're yes. doing twice a week. I mean, it is it is so draining on a family's time and energy. Um, and it does take a lot, but the needs are different now than they were then. Yes. But having somebody walk up and say, what are the needs this week? Yeah. I'm here. Yeah. And you have to be, you have to have thick skin. Like there was a family who kind of adopted our daughter as a grandparent and she just wore them out. It's like, she, they don't do it anymore. And I'm not, It's hard. She's hard. Like she's really hard. Uh, And I would say this too. One thing you can do in the foster system is there's what's called respite care. So we're talking about you, like uh, you get licensed, you get trained and you say, I can take a kid for anywhere from one day to it's like, I think three weeks is the maximum. Mm. Uh, Because if the foster family that the child is placed with has to go out of town and and the child in foster care cannot go, someone needs to be able to be there for the kid. Now, I'll warn you, my daughter was supposed to be with us for three days. It has now been five years and it's the rest of our lives, right? And I'm glad she is. Uh, But that's what we were doing. It was respite care. And now uh, she's she's with us. She's our daughter. Jason's phone or Josh's phone rang in the background. Sorry if you heard that, guys. Um, Because of some of the construction, we had to move our location that we are recording in. Um, I will say, too, so, again, so Arizona 127, who's the the kind of organization that we're— Where does that 127 come from? uh, I believe it comes from James 127. Um, How creative. How creative. But— they do have some wraparound teams for like emergency people get thrown into foster care right away, like grandparents, mm-hmm. a lot of kinship stuff. So you can do that. You can be on, um, you can be trained up by them. But they also have this interesting thing where it's like that the family does have like a life group they're in or a small group they're in. And they they in, go to a training and they sit and they listen and they understand the the trauma and the complex. And so, you know, some of you may already have these people in your life. And it may just be, and, right. and they may be not ashamed is the wrong word, but they just may not be in a place that they're willing to ask, right? Maybe, maybe they've asked before and it went on deaf ears and nobody helped these families who have adopted or fostered. Or I and, think sometimes people are afraid to ask to be like, oh, I see you got this mess on your hands over here. Like yeah. you're being insulting. Yeah. No, trust me. They, we all know we have a mess on our hands. Yeah. Yeah. So again, it's like, 
well, I'm talking about the family asking for help, right? Like maybe maybe they just don't know how either. So they've tried to create some of these on-ramps for that, but it's all based out of relationship. So if somebody does ask you, if somebody does come up to you, or you have somebody in your life, right, who you know is in this fight, I promise they need some kind of help. Absolutely. Right? Whatever it is, I like, I promise they need something. And so again, it's it's moving from just conviction, because I think all of us yesterday were probably convicted. To, okay, what am I actually going to do, right? What am I, okay, I've got these resources. How can I help, right? And some of it is monetarily. I've got some money. How can I help, right? How can I, how can I help with that? How can I help lean in and do these kinds of things? I think of a lady in our church who's a CASA worker because she wanted to help. Mm-hmm. So that's what she does. She's an advocate on behalf of the kid with the courts, right? That's what a CASA worker is, right? Court appointed court, court special yeah. advocate. Yeah, so again, it's, I can't maybe bring the child into my home, but I can fight for that kid because somebody has to. Like, that's what foster care really ultimately is all. It's somebody fighting for this kid. So she said, well, I could do it this way, right? So there are a ton of ways I think that we can engage in this conversation. Um, and I, I just personally, I, I'm just grateful for the fact that we're talking about it, but also mad that you're talking about it because you showed two families who had multiple kids. Mm-hmm. So I thought my multiple kids got me out of this. Oh, like, oh, yeah, that's right. Just, man. Yeah. So Dan and I are again, man, we're having this conversation. Like, really, and we more. did this. Like we, we, This is what we did, right? I had 30 kids that we fought for in Louisiana for seven years. Like These were my kids that I advocated for the schools and did this, and I was with them every single day. Right? And so we aren't, in, we, we aren't there anymore. And so I have been wondering... All right, God, you know this is who we are. What does this look like for us? And so we're just trying to figure it out now. God, what's our part to play, right? Because this is what God has called us to, right? This is the thing that like you said, what a better, like Joe said it too, what a better picture of, of what we are as a church, um, but what a better picture of who we are as people. And so just trying to figure out what the Garrett's role in this is. So I know some of you are listening, trying to figure that out too. We're right there with you. But I just know it's like, I'm going to be sleepless if I just push this away, right? I'm just, God, I'll just, it'll just keep coming, mm-hmm. right? And so Diana and I are both like, we didn't want to talk about it yesterday. It was like, oh, no, we got to talk about this thing. Because what does this mean for us? And we both said, we don't want to just be emotional about it. We want to be, we want to know that's the right thing to do. Right. So, well, that's the right thing to do. Oh yeah. <laughs> but what's the what is the right step to take? Maybe that's the better word. So yeah. What yeah. else you guys got? Anything for our people? Just a word of encouragement. Again, I think we've been pretty honest with people. Um, but um one last thing you would tell people who are maybe on the fence trying to figure out if this is for them. I guess mine would just be um resist the urge to look for the out. Hmm. Because, um, like you said, that's the thing. We're we're yeah. all we are. We we're great at it. Yes, it's <laughs> verse twenty two. It comes back to it is easy to deceive ourselves. Yeah. We right. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Like the self deception comes in an excuse to not be obedient. That's why he says, "Don't deceive yourselves. Do what it says." Because the deception comes in giving ourselves an out from being obedient to what the Word of God says. That's where the self deception comes. We are great at convincing ourselves this doesn't apply to me. 
And so I would just say, resist that urge um, and figure out. Like I said, it's going to look different. I'm not, I'm not here saying that it looks the same for everybody. It does yeah. not. Yeah. But I can guarantee it, it doesn't look like nothing. There <laughs> is an expectation that we're going to do something because yeah. of, of the Word of God, what yeah. it says for us. You know, I think it's First John, greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. Like, if you're going to get on this road, you're laying down your life. Like, yeah. you, you give up control. Like, you be prepared to be inconvenienced. But this is an expression of love mm. for people who experience love poorly mm. or not at all. This, this is how you can express your love for people. Lay down your life for them. That's good. Well, hey, thanks for uh, hanging in with us and listening. Man, again, we just want to encourage you to to figure out what God is calling you to do. And if you need help with that, I, mean, I know all of us here um, on the team would love to help that. Just want to remind you of the training that if you do want to take some next steps with what it looks like to foster um, or possibly adopt, uh, it will be this upcoming Sunday, February the 4th. Yes, that yes. is the 4th. February the 4th um, at one. PM. So, um, again, we want to help give you all the resources we uh, can give you. And again, like I said, another great resource is um, AZ-127 and some other stuff, too, on the website that you can check out as well. So, uh, um, again, I hope I'm with Jason, just the, that I hope there's a new swell of kids that we look back in five years and go, oh, that was from this, that moment that we all leaned in and heard the word of truth. Um, and we can point back to, man, God did some things in all of us. You remember when we studied James? You remember when right. we studied James? Remember when we studied James? So again, thanks for listening today. Uh, talk again soon.